The fuck did you just say? I said that it's a Filipino superstition that if you go to sleep with your hair wet, that you get pneumonia. That's very interesting. I Yeah, I really, I thought that was a real thing up until I was like 10 years old. And I was like, I've never gotten pneumonia because of this before. Maybe it has to do with the lungs and the top of your head being in different parts of the body. No idea. No logic. Zero things going on <laughs> in this brain. <laughs> in this theory. Theory brain. Hey. Yeah, so welcome to episode five of the Art of Death podcast. Isn't the thing from Final Fantasy, right? Final Fantasy? That's the thing from Final Fantasy, isn't it? Isn't it also the thing that's like the intro to movies and stuff? No. Maybe. Wait. <laughs> What's the intro to the movie? Like, like, no thoughts had him. Like, like with the lion? Yeah. Or like, or like the, it's not the 20th century fox. No, that one's different. So that one is, okay, so that one, there's an extra note in the Final Fantasy one, I think. Right? So like 20th century fox is like, and then I think the Final Fantasy one is, so there's two right after the, Man, my my lips are just going for it right now. <laughs> so it's yeah. so it's very obvious who is more the musical genius between the both of us. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so this is the second episode that we're filming today because I will not be able to film two. <laughs> take a shot for every time Ray hits the microphone in his forehead. I will not be able to shoot in like two weeks, so we're just crunching it out today, and. Yeah, today is going to be very different from our last episode. We will be talking about the three main points. Democracy. <laughs> My brain just fucking like, s- skipped. <laughs> Democracy. Shit the U.S. does. I think this is like a reoccurring theme for us. The state and sub categories. Communism, democracy, anarchism, and capitalism. So all the things that we talk about oh, in shit, every single those. episode. <laughs> it's okay. You know, we're getting the Hobbs at the end. So that should be fun. Unless you want to start barf, with that. Whatever you want to start with. Yeah, barf. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So we are going to be talking about democracy first and what it is. Oh, a little ASMR moment with the water. It's fucking gross. <laughs> But gotta fine. clean the tubes gotta keep the pipes smooth yeah wow great <laughs> good job channeling Megan Stallion <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it I don't know how to do it I just sound like I'm fucking coughing up a hairball <laughs> <laughs> it's more like a vampire going <laughs> really no that's what you so sound when, like so I when a like... white boy tries to sound like Megan Thee Stallion he sounds like a vampire that makes a lot of sense though <laughs> I'm not challenging it. I'm owning it. That makes a lot of sense. Because she kind of says, more like, she goes more like, you know, no consonants before the hard vowel. Oh, yeah. Nothing can beat my. Kenny! <laughs> I can do that one easily. You just fucking scream Kenny. So. Did you just say it in like a King King Gizzard song right now? Like, no? What was oh, no, that, that? Was, that was One Day as a Lion. That was Zach de la Roja and John Theodore. Nice. But, uh, oh my God. 
The thing about ad libs and music, they're like the best thing in the world. Before ad-libs? we get to our topic. Oh, yeah. ad libs are fucking dope. So like, I really like when singers use them because it's fun. I mean, can't go wrong with Disturbed sounding like demented monkeys. You ever heard Disturbed? Like, Mm-mm. oh, <laughs> oh, that's tight. Yeah, I love. I like. They do that. shit like that. So they'll they'll like start like a metal groove and then like over it, you'll just hear like the singer and like all the backup singers will just be like, oh, oh, like on top of it, and it I sounds like that, kind yeah. of weird, but it works pretty good. I don't know how they get away with it. And then like my brother Austin loves Stu McKenzie from King Giz because mm. he'll just be like. Like he has a few things he'll just say, and he he's just like an obnoxious troll of a human. Like he'll just be singing, he'll be like, "Yep," <laughs> I'm like, "Oh, okay." Or he'll be like, "Ayoo!" He oh, literally yeah. just go, woo, woo, woo. That's like his thing. Yeah, he just howls like Tarzan. So, like in rap music, a lot of it is carried by ad libs. <laughs> Like if British has the the British rap is like the funnest ad libs ever the most fun. Oh really? What like what? Because they don't have guns in England, so a lot of it is like gun oh. sounds. Oh, so like, you just like rap, ding ding ting, and you're like, oh, okay, sick, <laughs> noted, ding ting ting, got it. I listen to a rapper named Larry June, and he just goes like, <laughs> like in the back, yeah. <laughs> I love that. He was like, sock it to me. I like that though. That's fun. I'll have to yeah. check that out later. Yeah, he's tight. I listen to him a lot. Yeah. You can he's, never go wrong with Stu McKenzie from King is just yelling into your soul, though. Just, ah! I'm like, ah, I'm awake. <laughs> okay. He has uh, <laughs> screamed into the abyss. Yeah, it's really funny because, like, I don't know, ad-libs are just so fun. <laughs> yeah. Without him, I don't think music would be listenable. True. But the irony is a lot of the music I listen to just doesn't use them, but they really should. Mm. Lars Volta doesn't really, unless you count him just saying, oh. But, like, he likes to... God, his fucking voice is just like... Mm. But, like, he'll be... <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes he's just like, wow, wow, like, out of nowhere. And you'll be like, oh, yeah, put a little pepper on this groove. Good job, Cedric. And it just sounds yeah. so good. Yeah, uh, I'm the opposite. Most of the music I listen to has ad-libs in it. So, like, Rico Nasty would, like, say some shit, like, in a rap. And then she'll be like... I mean, this is, for example, I can't think of exactly what she'll be like. You're a bitch. You know, like, in the back. <laughs> or like oh, ra- yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Because like, I heard... Um, what's that? What's the fuck is that song called again? Uh, which one? Um, I don't need your opinion. That one. The one I like. The one I oh, really oh. like. Uh, yeah, oh, fuck. I know exactly what you're talking about. No, don't worry about a bitch that's ever been in your place. Yeah, that one, yeah. Uh huh. What is that one called? Smack a bitch, smack a bitch. Yeah, 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 exactly. I nailed it. Okay, go on. Yeah, or like a rapper would be like, uh, like you're a bitch, and then his ad lib would be like, like your mom, or something like that. Like your mom, (laughs) not exactly like that. That sounds like hella, like not as cool as like if a rapper would say it, but (laughs) just an example, you know, that's just funny as fuck to me. Like, I'd be hella like dying but also i love all the the shit talk and the banter you know it's like it's like a that's an ad lib right eminem does that count as an ad lib he goes not sure it's shady what's this thing right to me that kind of sounds more like uh not beatboxing but some variation of mouth noises and ad libs are more like words are they kind of so is king is Stu and king gizzard going woo 
Does that not count as an ad lib? Oh, I guess you're right. Yeah. No, we can. If you want to persistify and cut out King Gizzard, <laughs> if you want. No, no, no. Let's not do that. Let's not. Do as that. our no, logic you're fine. You're fine. would say, logic is about persistification. If you want to persistify and like chop out the Aussies, that's fine. It's fine. It's okay. No, no, it's it's okay. Cause I, cause now that I think about it, I listen to Young Thug too, and he goes like, he says it like. Eh. And like carries it out for hella long, but it's just like one long ass ad lib, and it's nice. funny as fuck. Yeah, not funny, but pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I wonder. Or like, yeah, yeah, baby. <laughs> I have no idea what depth of my soul that sound came from, <laughs> but my mouth moved and sounds came out. <laughs> Who said I need? I don't need that second Urban Mate. I'm doing fine. I got <laughs> so good. much. My so heart much just energy. calmed down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Okay. So, democracy first. Fuck. I know, right? Oh, God. We kind of touched on this in the last episode, but we did kind of... Talk about music? We can talk about music. That's basically what we were doing. Yeah. I mean, we were also talking about Attack on Titan. You are talking about... <laughs> Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Exactly. Talking about uh, very strange things, like strange concepts that give us sublime experiences. <laughs> Spirited Away always gives me sublime experiences. I don't oh, know Oh, yeah, why. for sure. Like, the piano theme, the name of life. Whenever I hear that theme, like... Dun, 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 I'm like... Ugh, blah, blah, blah. My heart is in sublime experience. I am meaningless, but meaningful. Ugh. Like, <laughs> I just die. I enter a stage where my ego like, just okay? withers away onto a cross within my soul. And all I am is enjoying art. That's mm. sublime, right? Yeah. I'm subjected to this sublime experience and I yeah. have no control over it. Yeah, like I feel like Spirited Away does it so like expertly because it's a scenario that is crawling with anxiety and people are not really shown to be anxious in Spirited Away. Mm. Like she's just chilling the whole time. She's like, Oh, okay. What do I gotta do to escape? That? Okay. Fun and just starts doing shit. Yeah. And like working and like, you know, all this stuff. And then um, at no point and I, am I like, hey, <laughs> your parents might be pigs forever. This is <laughs> this is a lot. My ooh, I'm, I'm, I'm scared <laughs> because it just has such a peaceful like aesthetic to it, despite right. it being like incredibly like terrifying. Yeah. And now now that you mentioned that, that's that's totally true. And it kind of almost gives you the feel that she's been there before. And then the movie confirms that, you know. Because of her relationship with Haku, uh, with Haku yeah. the river slash dragon. Yeah. I love Haku. Because it's obvious that they've met each other before and Haku remembers. Because she fell into a river. Yeah. And I love it. Yeah. And like, it's it's obvious that he remembers more than she does. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's, so she has been there before, but she just doesn't remember it. Because she's, she feels like Haku is like familiar. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah, that's super. That's super true. Like not having anxiety of being in a in a foreign place. But what if that's the whole point? Is that it's not really foreign? You know. Mm. Well, it's very Shinto. A lot of it is about nature, you know, mm. and the uh, the kami, the gods within nature in Shintoism. And so the thing is like making making a uh, dragons represent rivers. I think is insane like that's mm-hmm. amazing and so the like like okay she falls in a river as a kid so what that's cool 
But then you're like, no, no, no. She falls in a river who is actually like personified as a dragon that she can talk to and has this nostalgic feeling with. And you're like, now that's fucking crazy. Because when you revisit a, a like a river from your childhood, you might have that same feel- feeling. And that's what she undergoes like with Haku. But like there's all kinds of things throughout like Spirited Away that are pretty much just like, because they're all supposed to be like what spirits that exist within nature. Mm-hmm, and this is like, yeah. a, this is mm-hmm. like a resort for them to kick back. Right. So like they're all like, like a part of nature they're all like gods within nature which is pretty trippy yeah and how the big um the big monster one that was just like gluttonous and eating things like all it represented like the ocean right it's funny because we just talked about the ocean in the last podcast too uh but with that that big monster thing all it needed was a deep clean so when you pulled out all of the pollution and shit that was within it oh that guy yeah yeah and that was all that that needed. I feel like that was like a really nice like metaphor for uh, like spirit, like nature spirits and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like if we care for it, it actually gives us a lot of like benefit, not benefits, but like, you know, we can see its true potential. But when it's all clogged up, it just gets on worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And then there's no face. Mm. It was an entire other fucking thing. <laughs> like. Like, what is No Face supposed to represent? Hmm. Like, I have an idea, but I'm not too sure if it's right. Do you have any ideas on No Face? I want to hear what you think first. I mean, I feel like No Face is supposed to be um, a symbol of, uh, like, existential validation. So, the thing about No Face, right, is that No Face copies people, mm-hmm. right? Like, he swallows a couple of, like, the, the froggy people and then can like copy what they say like their voice and stuff or like he gives people gold because it's what they want so like no face is this entity with no face (laughs) hello who literally like as a magical being is designed to uh reflect what he thinks people want so Mm -hmm. no face's entire existence is built on validation Mm -hmm. if i say what like if, if i act how they act then or if I give them what they want, then I'll be accepted, right? So he gives them gold, and he uh, and he uh, gives them. Doesn't he also give out jewels and stuff? And yeah, yeah, yeah uh-huh. and like he can copy what people say and stuff. But like that's why people kept on feeding him. The issue with um, existentially centering your being off of material validation is that it consumes you. It's almost like like a, a like a point on capitalism in a way or it's a it's a point on excessive uh consumerism in a mm. way because what happens is no face can't stop consuming right 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 and can't stop giving stuff out and when the one person he wants validation from refuses it well his entire or i should say it's ex- its entire existence is built on that form of validation and if it doesn't work with the one that like it wants then what even was the whole point of being validated in that way? Yeah, Does it, it even collapses, matter? Yeah. yeah, and it collapses. And then that collapse climaxes with no face basically vomiting everything up. Right, and then, right. you know, engaging life in a different way, which is, okay, you can ride the little trolley thing with me to go visit the witch's twin or whatever, as long as you're nice. And so he's nice and he's social and he helps people. And it's when he starts doing stuff like that and he's not just a mindless consumer that he he like finds peace and that's like crazy 
goes back to environmentalism. Oh my god, we just talked about environmentalism. The last episode. <laughs> Ironically, we didn't bring up Spirited Away then, but here we go. Yeah, well also I see it too as like, let's say No Face is a human being, right? Yeah. And it's a, this No Face is a human being that was never fed like real attention or real love or whatever. And then the one person that sees him for who he is not what he can give and then that's when he finally decides or yeah. they finally decide to like wow like let me do the right thing and actually care about how people feel and you know what i mean like be my own yeah, person exactly I, like I agree completely mm-hmm. but as a because we know no face isn't human i think i think no face is supposed to represent that sort of shadowy mood that exists within humans right sure there exactly. you go yeah so like your uh-huh. example of bringing them up as a human and stuff is on point because no face ex- is exhibiting the like this like existential behavior that occurs within a lot of humans right and right so right. no face's behavior is how humans behave assuming that they can escape this mindless consumerism yeah and then um and then the girl represents how I guess, uh, so Spirited Away makes me cry for like many reasons, right? Spirited Away is so good. I know, but one of the reasons is that like that girl, I feel like I'm that girl, if that makes sense. Mm. There's so many things, oh my God, her name escapes me. But there's so many things that have happened to me in my life, even though, you know, obviously I'm not that old. Like I'm like, I'm I'm about to be 29 this year. But I feel like I've experienced so many things already. And she kind of acts like that. She acts like she's experienced this before, even though she's not super conscious of it. What is her name? Chihiro. Chihiro. That's right. I was like, as soon as I saw it, I was like, ah, yeah. No face has a name. Apparently. Yeah. Kaunashi. Mm. I don't know if that means no face. I've only ever ref- uh, heard the English version. Uh, I've only, yeah, I've only ever heard to this guy referred to as, uh, Oh, okay. Okay. Kaunashi is that if that's how you say it, literally means faceless. So okay. that makes sense. No face, faceless. So sounds a lot like identity death. Hmm. hmm. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, Kenny. Yeah. So I mean, just bringing it. We're back just gonna ad lib in the whole episode. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be still. Yep. <laughs> Some Stu McKenzie stuff. I'll, I'm gonna have to show you what he looks like live. I, I, I shit not. I shit you not. That that's what he does. Oh, so later I'll do some British rap ad libs as well, just randomly. Okay. Yeah. So, no face. His Japanese name really is face. He just got out all of our little fucking Tourette's. A little like tweaks. Yeah. And then um. That's cool because when you think about your concept that you thought of called right, identity death, right, right? right? Which you can hear about more on episode three. Yeah, three. Of our podcast. <laughs> For a second, I was like, no, it's two. Wait, no, it's three. Yep. Uh, um, yeah. So, like, it makes a lot of sense that, like, no face exists as identity death and gains identity uh, through, like, action and doing right. things and whatnot. It's almost as if... Um, consumerism is regimented into people and then they behave a certain mindless way that prevents them from creating identity 
more on regimentation in episode, episode four. four. <laughs> We're just going to start dropping this shit now. Y'all got to keep up. Y'all gotta I mean, keep it's, up. it's kind of like footnotes, though, you know, like you got to tell people where they can get the other information from instead Honestly. of us saying it again. But yeah, no, completely. Right. And so when you're saying that, there, I have two thoughts that come to my head. One is Chihiro. Chihiro is perhaps the only person that is able to identify no face as the entity that they are. You know what I mean? But also, Chihiro can also represent one facet of our, I guess, like men- mental state or capacity. And then and then no face can represent another one. Right. So uh, a lot of a lot of psychologists I've been listening to, like a lot of psychology podcasts and self-help kind of podcasts, uh, uh, other psychiatrists that are talking about like, you know, how do you function with depression and anxiety mm-hmm. and stuff like that? And what they say is that it's almost as if like you need to have different people in your head that are talking to each other. Mm. So there's obviously your your depressed self or yourself that has no aim, has no face, kind of like no face. And then you have your other self that is like your drill sergeant telling you like, hey, no, you can't be like that. You know, basically what like Chihiro was was doing, you know, and, and what I'm aware of in a lot of uh, Asian like folktale, folklore kind of uh, storytelling is that different characters represent different facets of human human being human beings and behavior and what it means to be a human period you know so i don't know like it's hard for me to to pick which one i i think it is like i think it could definitely be both situations but Mm. it's uh it's also has a lot to say about like chihiro right it's like she has so much sense to be authentic but also be present you know like she's not having anxiety and like fearing for her future and like not doing the right things in order to not save her family. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's very obvious in the movie that every step that she's taking is in order to free her family. Right. Mm -hmm. But she's present enough to do the things that she needs to do or whatever there. It's just, there's just like so much to it that is absolutely beautiful. And you know, that presentness is, Mm -hmm. is something that I try to remind myself about too. Yeah. When it comes to beautiful anime movies, I'm not going to rant about your name here, but I do want to rant about a couple of movies that'll lead us back into what we were going to talk about. Okay, sure. So. Democracy. I saw Grave of the Fireflies. Oh my God. And I saw In This Corner of the World. Haven't seen that. And I gotta say, no offense, this might be a hot take. In This Corner of the World, I like more. Okay, that's fair. Grave of the Fireflies, I'm not the craziest about. I'm going to... In this corner of the world, I think... I can't remember, but I think it might have made me... It either made me cry or almost cry. But Grave of the Fireflies was sad, but I don't think it made me cry. Yeah. But I could have just been in a different headspace when I was watching them. But, like, mm. I'm a, I might spoil a couple things from In this corner of the world. Sure, no, sure no problem. So they're both Japan World War II anime movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing about Grave of the Fireflies is they basically open up with the ending they're like yep so like it's not really a spoil if it happens in like the first 10 minutes of the movie Mm -hmm. it opens up with the ending and it's pretty much like hey let's uh let's talk about what led up to me dying and then it's just a series of heartbreaks leading up to the final one that you already know and then in this corner of the world was different in this corner of the world this like um oh god i saw it months ago let's see if i can remember stuff 
so there's this like there's a, she's from a village near uh, I believe she she's near uh, Hiroshima and uh-huh. uh, she's an artist she loves drawing sketches and stuff and yada 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 and then she's in like a sort of arranged marriage in a, a different place like a different city I can't remember what the city was unfortunately because I saw this movie a long time ago but she's living in the city and whatnot and stuff and um, they occasionally have like you know bombings or stuff like that because it, it's a port city it's right next to the ocean mm. so like whole fleets are there and stuff and um, there's a there's like an airstrike and it's animated so beautifully I literally have goosebumps right now so basically hmm. they animate it by looking like paint, paint blots in the sky mm. as the bombs and the fireworks and the flares and things are popping off and there's like these explosions, they make it look like paint blots. And so the animation very quickly, but so smoothly goes from being like, it looks like Ghibli-esque car- cartoonish to like paint on a, on a, like a canvas basically oh, wow. over the animations. And it looks amazing. And um, what's it called again? In this corner of the world. Right? Is that the movie? Shit. <laughs> if you look it up, I think it's I think yeah. it's the right one. Okay, I found it. Let me see. Uh, oh yeah. Oh yeah, it's oh. that one. It's great. Yeah. But um there's literally a scene where they're hiding in a bomb shelter and um she's just co- like calming down her like it's someone who's related to her. I don't remember how. I think it's like sister-in-law or something, but she's like super young something like that she's like very very young she's like 10 max probably younger probably wouldn't be her sister-in-law then who the fuck was it was it a cousin-in-law then what was it i can't remember but there's a there's a young girl cooker that means that she would be married to her brother no 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 no, no, because it's not her sister like by like it's not like her blood sister i don't remember i don't think it was oh it's her dude's sister i think so i can't remember how it might be her dude's nephew i know i think about it listen oh shit there's okay. a character in there like all the people <laughs> who know this movie are like what the fuck bro there's a character in there he's a young girl basically and they're in this bomb shelter and it, it, it seems like you know like a like a relatively peaceful scene like you hear the bombs going off outside and it's just like stay calm you know we're gonna get through and all of a sudden the person holding the like the, the door open slams it shut and yells in japanese Cover your ears and open your mouth or your ears will bleed. And then the scene just cuts and it stops. And I'm just Wait, like... Wait, what? Cover your ears? Yeah, she yells very fast. Cover your ears and open your mouth or your ears will pop and bleed. Oh. Like, just like that. And I was just like, whoa, what the fuck just happened? Like, I, like, like I knew that there was like a bomb scene going on, but then it very quickly just shifts. But there's a bunch of stuff in there that's very sad I don't want to get into. But the existentialism inside of In This Corner of the World is um, way way deeper it, because okay so i'm gonna spoil one of the major things here yeah so i mean we spoiler just alert ha- to people who are listening right i was gonna say you <laughs> i'm not gonna spoil all of them i'm not gonna spoil all yeah, of them and i probably won't watch it so okay i won't spoil all the spoilers but here's one of them so as a, she's an artist and whatnot but uh there, there's a bomb and yada 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 some stuff happens and she actually like loses like an arm mm-hmm. and it's her dominant hand Mm-hmm. And she can't draw anymore and mm-hmm. she so she literally just like stares at like canvases in a room and then like screams about how she like has lost everything dear to her because she can't even draw anymore and that was her way of coping with like harsh reality was to like paint and draw and do these beautiful sketches and stuff and sh- when she loses that ability it's just like <laughs> stab into yeah. the soul and it's like yo 
That is crazy. So, speaking of military things. You remember that happened to me before? Huh? I told you that happened to me before. Well, my arm didn't get cut off, but I broke my hand. Yeah, I was going to ask. Your arm got, how did it grow back, Patrick Starr? (laughs) Yeah. You broke your hand? Yeah, I got in a car accident when I was 18 and I was an art major at San Jose State. It was during my first semester. Oh. You know, I told you I've been an artist since I was like six years yeah, old. Yeah, yeah. I knew you've been an artist for a long time. Yeah, I yeah. don't know if you've mentioned the breaking the hand part. Really? You've mentioned car accidents before. Oops. <laughs> but, oh, ah. I broke I broke my two, my fingers popped out of, the joints popped out of my fingers oh, and yikes. stuff. And then I don't know if you can tell, but I was basically in a cast for like two and a half years. And then mm. I was going to physical therapy for like damn near three damn to reconnect like my ligaments and exercise my fingers i could i used to not be able to move them and then so that's intense this movie might be a bit triggering for you then yeah maybe it's a good idea that I maybe it's maybe it. it's a good idea you don't watch it but if you're ever yeah. curious and want to watch it it is a beautifully done movie yeah i'll bring tissues i mean i i probably don't feel that girl's pain as much as I don't know. I did used to draw a lot, though, and that did kind of like crush my soul. But instead of like, maybe it's just my personality, but instead of getting sad about shit, I just find something else to do. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then so when I broke my hand, my first semester at San Jose State, when I was supposed to be an art major, <laughs> I became a philosophy major. Oh, that explains In it. Giddings class. Which one? Moral issues. And I was oh, like, oh, nice. And I was like so in love that I was like, I didn't even know you could take philosophy in a school this is a thing you became um all the the smart uncle character thing what's his name the 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 filipino like folklore philosopher thank you you became Mm -hmm. that i did (laughs) yeah and i was crippled but i'm (laughs) (laughs) because he was i believe crippled in the shit that's funny yeah so know that that i can see how that's like really deeply existential and painful and shit when it happened to me it was more so like I wasn't I wasn't that upset about my hand. The, that's crazy that like I wasn't upset about my hand breaking. I was one. I was just happy to be alive because I thought I died. Mm-hmm. Like I had a moment when the car crashed and I saw white. Oh, that's intense. Yeah. And then I remember telling God, like, I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. You that's know what intense. I mean? And then I woke and then I woke up and my glasses were still on my face, but the lenses popped out so I couldn't see shit. And my first thought was like, I need to fucking get out of here. The the window all the glass was shattered so mm. i think uh, i climbed out of it because it wouldn't open like the girl who was driving like helped me hop out and get on the street and we flagged the car down because we couldn't find our phones and oh, um shit. and we were also scared the car was gonna blow up so because we crashed into like such a deep ditch you know what i mean oh okay yeah and i seen my hand and it was bleeding but for some fucking reason i don't know if my ancestors possessed my body or something but <laughs> i popped my fa- my fingers back into place so i i saw the joints and my knuckles mm. popped out of my skin and my first thought was to pop them back in mm. and then when i ended up getting surgery like later that night and mm-hmm. then I woke up and then I had a follow up check, I think, with my doctor or whatever or surgeon. He was like, if you didn't pop your fingers back in immediately, uh, it would have taken like, I think, something like an additional two years of reconstructive kind of surgery and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I was like, shit, <laughs> you know what I mean? But when it happened, I literally couldn't feel shit. I just did it. You know what I mean? And I don't know yeah. what made me be like, oh, maybe Probably I all the do adrenaline this. in your system. Maybe. Your brain was yeah. just like, okay, go. That don't look right. 
there we go yeah exactly what's next flag a car right 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 exactly it was like so like on overdrive or whatever so Mm -hmm. i feel like because of all that shit just being appreciative that i didn't fucking die like Mm -hmm. i was like you know my art can wait (laughs) you know what i mean yeah yeah i mean i guess like big spoilers coming from in this corner of the world i guess like the thing that made it so like dread like existentially dreadful in the in the movie was that um so bait so okay she didn't lose her arm from a bombing like a bomb dropping Mm -hmm. there was a dunce one that no one had seen and she was walking Mm -hmm. and by the time she saw it she went like oh shit and so she grabbed she was walking that little girl i was thinking about she grabbed her and tried to push her out of the way she lost her arm and the little girl to the bomb and like she was barely alive yeah she woke up and she woke up to basically like her one of the fucking family members. I think it's like an aunt in law or something. But she's basically yelling like, "What the fuck happened? You had my like, my little girl. What the fuck?" And she was just laying there like, "Yo, I'm so sorry. I tried to help, but I, it was too late." So, the, and her only coping technique was like her art, because like she's not in her home. Mm-hmm. This is an arranged marriage situation. Her mm. her dude is in the the navy, I think. So he's like hardly ever around. Wow. Her family the family doesn't really like her much. So she's constantly just like escaping into her art and then not only did she lose the ability to escape into the art, but she lost that little girl too and that that mm-hmm. was just like ooh cuz I was like, "Oh, shit. Well, they're probably going to like, you know, the scene happens and I was like, "Well, she probably pushed her out of the way or something. And then I saw how much time was left on the movie. And I was like, uh-oh. And I was like, uh-oh. She, There's yeah. a lot left on the movie. I don't think this was a, I pushed her out of the way and the bomb got me situation. And so then it, you get to the next scene or whatnot. And you're just like, oh, fuck. No. She probably didn't have access to drugs because in that time I did. She didn't. I did uh, develop like a pill addiction after that because oh. I had to be on Vicodin all the time to because my I don't know if you've ever broken bones, but it's, it's I've actually never broken a bone or never cracked a bone or dislocated. Yeah, it. I've never done everything. It's incredibly painful. Like, I can it's, imagine. It's <laughs> like if you can imagine what the deepest pain like you literally feel it in your bones. You know that the the metaphor or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like if you can feel the pain. The like you ever you ever had a toothache. Nope. Like a deep toothache. Nope. Good for you. Good for you. I got but, my wisdom teeth out. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's about as close as I've come to teeth problems. Yeah. Well, it's, I used to drink yeah. eight glasses of milk a day to make sure I had strong bones. Oh, good for you. And then uh, now I'm lactose intolerant and I don't drink cow milk. But <laughs> but I used to drink eight glasses of milk a day and I, I, I like I didn't do super dangerous things often. And I'm lucky enough to not have been in a car accident or anything. Yeah. Because like... You can be as careful as you want. If you're in a car accident against your will, you're good. Like shit can go south against yeah. that. Right? But I'm lucky enough to have never broken anything. They made me that pain. Like, I guess it's hard to say that it's an addiction if I needed all that medication to just feel normal. Do you know what I mean? Because it was yeah. so painful that I would just pop Vicodin to get through my day because I, I would still go to school. I was in the dorms at San Jose State. Mm. And I would have to change my bandages every day. So imagine I would have to like look at my fucking broken hand. It looked like Frankenstein. It was so nasty. Oh. And then um, I would also, what do you call this? Uh, when I would be in a lot of pain from my surgeries and stuff, they would give me hella morphine, right? So if you can imagine, like it would take a lot for me to not feel shit. I used to smoke so much weed. Like I used to smoke like like six to eight blunts a day, like with my homies and shit. That's a lot. I used to smoke <sighs> a lot, like just back to back to back and then if i could get my hands on vicodin that would be cool because you know 
I mean, I would be prescribed some, you know what I mean? But right, I yeah. think it it eventually drove up my tolerance for for drugs. It also didn't help that I have addiction in my <laughs> like hereditary in my in my bloodline or whatever. Right. But anyways, I f- maybe if she had drugs it would have made her situation a little bit more tolerable. True. In this hypothetical cartoon world. Yeah, that's true. It's also she can just eat shrooms. One more, something. since you said you're probably not gonna watch it. Yeah, yeah, yeah go ahead. One more huge spoiler is um, you're just in the middle of a normal scene. They're talking about something, right? The plot is developing and stuff, and all of a sudden the screen just flashes white. And I was like, I was literally like, wait, like because I watched, I was watching this with some friends on Discord. Yeah. And we're talking and stuff a little bit, like we were watching. Whole computer screen just flashes white, and there's silence. No one's saying a word. And I went, that wasn't fucking it. No way. That's how they drop. That's how they're going to drop the bomb in this movie. And then they go, holy shit, look at that. And over the mountain where she's from, Hiroshima, the cloud starts. So the way they drop it in the scene is out of, or in the movie is out of fucking nowhere. Oh, but that's what actually happened though, right? In exactly. Hiroshima is that like it came from nowhere. Exactly. But that was, that was another thing that I liked the way that they like did the bomb in in this corner of the world the way that they did like the um the existential part to it the way that they made like their other scenes look like paint and stuff i just thought that in this corner of the world i mean granted it was made way after grave of the fireflies and Mm -hmm. still like you know animations changed and stuff i did i just liked the way that it was like done as a film just i was just like god damn but i want to watch it now yeah it was so good but like literally when i when when i got to the part where the, the the big bombs dropped you know i was just like Oh, okay. Because I feel like with Grave of the Fireflies, it was more of a, we all know this happened. This is what it looked like. Right. It led to some problems. And then they kind of like danced around it. But mm-hmm. the thing about In This Corner of the World, the plot was about a bunch of other shit, basically. And you were so fixated on all this other stuff that they're doing with the plot that by the time they get to the, the date where the bomb is dropped, um, which I can't remember right now, unfortunately, but by the time they get to that date, it's just <laughs> boom. Like it was, it was weird. It was, it's a crazy scene, and um, to this day, the U.S. is the only, the only country to have used atomic bombs, plural. Two. So, yeah, it's very, it's very interesting that, you know, we like to like people like to act like the U.S. is this cute little world police officer. Right. But I'm like, you don't understand. Like, we're the only people. Like we're the only country on the planet to like straight up liquefy people in a second, basically. Right, 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 right. And Going back to, to shit the U.S. does. Democracy. <laughs> back here, Raymond. Yeah, finally coming back to what we we were like five minutes in. We're like, we're gonna talk about this today. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> and then we like literally went everywhere else, but that's okay. We got. Yeah, there. that's fine. Yeah, I mean, talking about anime is always way better than real human. Sometimes you need to talk about anime. Sometimes right. you just need a break from reality. Right, right. Damn, now I hella want to watch that because I have this like, since I watched the last episode of the last season of Attack on Titan, mm-hmm. that I just need something else, like a similar anime to like quench that thirst. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or like kind of like satisfy that area of curiosity that I have still because man, like I feel like this is how I get with anime. So I get so obsessed with a series and I'm very particular about which ones that I like. And yeah. I don't know why I like them so much. Oh, I think it's because they're so deeply like 
the ones the more deeply existential and like more of a sublime experience that i have from the anime the more obsessed i become with it attack on titan is one of them right and i can't say that about my hero academia uh, academia i feel like that's just purely aesthetic and the 10 year old me is like obsessed with that that's why i'm obsessed with it okay you know what i mean but anyways i'm super practical about the ones i like <laughs> every time he says all in the first season you take a shot. you'll literally get psoriasis of the liver <laughs> you'll literally get alcohol poisoning if you take a shot every time yeah fucking deku goes all it's <laughs> yeah yeah it's nuts so I have one, two. Okay, so I only have take a, take right. a hit every time. Baku, what is his name? Baku go. Baku go. Yeah. Deku. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. So I love. Okay, so My Hero Academia and Attack on Titan and the first season of Tokyo Ghoul are like some of the only mm. seasons. They're the only animes that I can watch over and over and over again. Oh. Does it make sense? I have, so, I have a couple animes like that. Yeah, My Hero. I don't Acad- watch a lot though. Oh really? My Hero Academia. Like I can watch season two, the the one where um they like compete and shit. I can watch mm-hmm. that season over and over and over again, like mm. in the background and shit. Tokyo Ghoul first season, not over and over again as much as I can with like My Hero Academia. But yeah, Attack on Titan. Like I want to go back now and rewatch the whole thing. To kind of like quench that until I'm done, you know. There I think was, I have an addictive personality. <laughs> There's one anime that I've seen beginning to end three times. Which one? The Brotherhood? The FMA Brotherhood. Oh, okay. That's that a is, good one, though. That's that really is good. insane. That one is deeply existential. And yeah. There's guess, so yeah. many layers to it. Okay. Here we go. Here's the thing about FMA Brotherhood. There's the, uh, there, first of all, there's the metaphysics of it. Um, all of their magic is basically built on sacrifice and how to avoid sacrifice. A philosopher's stone negates the need for equivalent exchange. Right, right, right. You, don't right. Have to, you can just make shit happen. Right. That's insane. Um, there's also how a philosopher's stone is made is be a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. There's also um, the fill of religion aspect. The villain wants to become God. Mm-hmm. There's also the political aspect. The very first episode the um they 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 apprehend a bad guy mm-hmm. the, the the ice dude and like the crazy thing kind of a lot of spoilers with this episode we'll put a we'll put a content we'll put a not a content warning we'll put a fucking uh spoiler alert warning at this episode yeah, probably yeah. but here's the thing in the very first episode there's this guy who does all this ice shit and he's actually really badass and powerful and he's doing all this crazy shit and then he literally says at one point, if you knew what this country was doing, you wouldn't stop me. And I'm just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cuts to every imperialist country. Oh, yeah. Like when I'm like, the U.S. is bad and we shouldn't support them. People are like, oh, what? And I, I just think of the ice guy from the first episode of FMA Brotherhood. If you knew what this country was doing, you wouldn't stop me. I love that. Yeah. Or whatever it is that he says. It's along those lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome. I, I mean... And the, the, you know, I love power. The way power is expressed in this entire thing. Right. Oh, let's not forget, I have a hard-on for the seven deadly sins. So, Oh, my God, I do like the having seven deadly seven sins. Characters I won't in watch FMA. it over and over again. <laughs> having seven characters in FMA Brother. Okay, first anime I ever saw was the first season of Seven Deadly Sins. Yeah. I go to watch FMA Brotherhood. 
Oh, what's that person's name? Lust. I was like, oh, you already. I'm like, you already know what the fuck is happening. Then yeah. lust. Let me yeah. guess. There was also a pride and a. a yeah. My friend was like, yeah, yeah, yeah greed. Yeah. yeah, greed. Oh my god. Yeah. And then so wrath. Oh, wrath is great. I love wrath. What? Which one is um the guy in the red suit all the time? And he's like, the like which one? Beckon, sexy in, bad guy in the Seven Deadly Sins seven anime. Deadly, what's his name again? Bon. Bon, right? What does he represent again? Bon is um greed he's greed yes because I, he yeah. spoiler from seven of these sins because he is greedy he he stole from the fountain of youth all that fun stuff. yeah yeah he can get it everyone <laughs> has everyone likes bond but i'm like i'm always like bond is fucking dumb bond is like sasuke like like he's I like, more like levi <laughs> like defending bond now. <laughs> oh great i pissed off a bond stand no, but like not a stand. You can t- you can take that back. You can have that. <laughs> You're like, oh, excuse me. Correct yourself now. Right. Yeah. My bad. Like Oof. I wouldn't put him in front of Levi. Okay, that's fair. Levi, daddy number one. Levi, daddy number one. <laughs> I mean, Evermay Brotherhood is just so crazy to me. Like, I also love. It's a lot like Watchmen in that as you go through it, it only gets deeper. Like you only find out more. Like it's basically one giant conspiracy theory that's true. So every time you get a new fact in FMA Brotherhood, the plot just gets a new level, like a whole new layer added. Yeah. And they do that like probably at least between five and ten times if we if we went through and counted all like the critical clues that they find. So I'm just like, whoa. But yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that just happens in FMA Brotherhood. I'm just like, this is so fucking cool yeah <laughs> but yeah i used to want to i actually used to want to get some of the um the symbols from fma brotherhood tattooed oh like the ones that they draw on the floor yeah the um the cool. transmutation circles mm-hmm, yeah um I, I i used to i haven't done it yet but i might i don't know i really like i really i really like kimberly's symbols but palm tattoos probably hurt like a bitch <laughs> From what I heard, yeah. the palm is like the most painful pl- space on the body to get a tattoo. Yeah, and I feel like FMA Brotherhood talks, a l- or I feel like it. Uh, a lot of the ideas are kind of like philosophical porn. Yeah, you know, it definitely is. It's like the transmutation circle, the uh, what do you call it? like the, the physics of you know of being e- eternal or like immortal or whatever, mm-hmm. being able to put your spirit into an an unconscious being or yeah. you know what and I mean. The Just, whole like the the alchemy the alchemy recipe alchemy. to make a human and how it like doesn't work because you can't make humans right and all right, this crazy right. stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's almost as if like if we could take all of our uh like crazy what do you call this like logical physical like philosophical witchcraft and put it into because that's what alchemy was yeah alchemy was like it was deeply philosophical shit it was because the thing is it was a sort of combination of magic and science like in real life and the flaw like basically the creator took like what alchemy was in real life and made it into like an anime format Mm -hmm. like made it more fun but like because like the flaw okay the Philosopher's Stone in Alchemy is a bit different from the Philosopher's Stone in FMA Brotherhood's mm-hmm, Alchemy. Because mm-hmm. the Philosopher's Stone, like, as the thing that was theoretically possible in, like, Earth, <laughs> historically, was, um, I think it had, like, two main properties, which was you can make gold out of anything? 
or nothing, something like that. Yeah. So like in FMA Brotherhood, it's basically like you don't have to sacrifice supplies in order to make something. Mm. That's how the way Philosopher's Stone works in FMA Brotherhood. But the way it works with like, uh, fucking, like in, in I guess like actual alchemy is like you can make it into gold. But it's also supposed to be an elixir of life. It's supposed to be like mm-hmm. the key to immortality. And it's the same thing in Harry Potter when they bring up the Philosopher's Stone. Yeah. Nicholas right. Flamel, Dumbledore's old pal, and all that. But I like the I like the philosophical and scientific accuracy of FMA Brotherhood more than Harry yeah. Potter, though. Like Harry oh, Potter's. Yeah definitely more mystical you know what i mean yeah. or magical oh yeah in that sense i think that's what makes fma brotherhood so good though and like the the blatant like expressions of uh like authoritarianism and fascism they mm-hmm. literally call king bradley Fuhrer. like i'm like it doesn't get like they literally call him that right i started watching this show and i was like did they just fucking say Fuhrer? like i'm like did they just call this man like <laughs> like that but uh yeah i mean it's it's literally like it's almost like because i mean i know like um it's almost like a like fucking why can't i english english i wish i will a bird if anyone knows the youtube video oh another fun youtube video i'll reference mm-hmm. do you know uh coffee all right, everybody who's listening, I need you to go on YouTube and look up YTP coffee green tea. That's it. YTP means YouTube poop. This is a, like a 50-second clip, mm-hmm. and someone just like edits an anime clip where someone go. they're learning English, and they're like two like lolly characters from an anime. I don't know which one. And mm-hmm. one of them goes, coffee, and the other one goes, green tea. And then basically <laughs> the guy made this thing, and he has them repeat those back and forth, but he like edits them differently each time. Yeah. Like, you know, like the squiggly filter thing, like on TikTok? Like, uh, yeah, yeah. Like, what would you say? Anyways. I love doing that voice. It is a fun voice. Why? I, I have a, I, one of my friends that I watch the movies with. I don't know if she wants mm-hmm. me to use your name or not. So I'll just, you know who you are if you're listening. But uh, she'll just randomly <laughs> do that while we're talking about stuff. Yeah. She'll be like, oh, no. And I'm like, oh, God, here we go again. <laughs> <laughs> Brain malfunctioning. Exactly. Why that we? Yeah. As we both collide here, we're both dying. Right. Mm. Yeah. But so yeah. that ties into democracy. <laughs> no kidding. No, but like, I mean, I mean, okay, here's the thing, though, is like, when you look at like the way that they, okay, big, 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 big spoiler from FMA Brotherhood is that the entire country is systematically organized to make a giant like sacrificial alchemy circle thing that's all i'm gonna say on that but when you look at the way that they imperialistically wage war on the borders to build these sacrifices it's a lot of shit that u.s does in actual history obviously they're not making a giant Mm. alchemy circle but (laughs) but the u.s is like you mean the border yeah or like no 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 not even that like the U.S. will just like wage war with places. Yeah. We'll just do things for like profits and stuff. And I feel like like historically like uh, the U.S. does a lot of that stuff, and people don't like talking about it for some reason. I saw this funny meme, mm-hmm. and it was like um, it was like U.S. history according to the U.S. and it was like Captain America, and then it was like U.S. history how it actually happened, and it was Homelander from the Boys. Mm. makes a lot of sense because homelander is like a fascist psychopath with a god complex mm-hmm. 
There's literally, I read an article, I don't know if I brought this up before in this podcast, but I read an article about the costume designers for uh, Homelander for the um, like live action show based off the comic for uh, you know The Boys. Oh, um, we talked about this in episode two. We did. Okay, fuck yeah. They literally made him look like a fascist. That's the yeah, thing. Yeah, with the eagles and everything. Yeah. yeah. like and Oh, the, and I did the American I make a comment. flag yeah. cape instead of a normal cape. Right. I made a comment about no lips. Huh. And then he made that joke about your brother. Oh, yeah. Caucasian tongue? Caucasian tongue, yeah. That was the same brother we hung out with earlier. Oh. Yeah. He'd be like, I'm, ah, I'm crystal Caucasian tongue. This is too spicy. I love him. He's so funny. Yeah, he's fun. But, um, yeah, I mean, like, now that we've, like, sort of moved past anime here, <laughs> historically, yeah. like, U.S. does all kinds of crazy shit. Like, um, like, oh, the electoral... Back to reality. Yeah, <laughs> like, the two-party system and the electoral college make fucking no sense. Like, mathematically, a third party will never win. So if anybody tries to tell yeah. you that we do not live in a two-party system, you can literally tell them to go fuck themselves. Right. Because we do. We do. If one county... Ha- in California, if one county had a majority of, say, Green Party voters, that w- that would mean that only one county gets to count. Even if gr- people vote Green Party throughout the state, but because it goes based off of geography in America, because we're fucking idiots, if <laughs> if one county was green and say like maybe one was Republican and like the rest were Democrat, then the entire state goes to the Democrats. Mm-hmm. You would literally need to have a majority of counties be third party to get a single state to be a party that's not one of the main two. And so people like to talk about like polarization too. Like they like to talk about like, um, right. Like, well, because of like, you know, the two party system or whatnot, they're, they're less likely to agree on things. And, you know, cause of like epistemic bubbles and echo chambers and all this and that, like what ends up happening is, um, they like to say that the people on the left get lefter and the people on the right get righter, but I don't think that's the case. No, yeah, I don't think so either. It's not the case because it it's more so the case that they exist within their own bubble. Like, they're just less likely to agree on the moderate stance, like the middle ground between neoliberals and conservatives. They're less likely to agree, and that would be Democrats and Republicans. But there are, like, libertarians... There's also communism and socialism, democratic socialism, um, all kinds of these other things that exist outside of like the bubble that like America has regimented. Mm -hmm, Right. That's that big research paper I've been working on, basically, that you told me you wanted me to talk about for some reason. Yeah, I did. Okay, so (laughs) I did want Ray to talk about this because I forget which major news podcast that i was listening to the other day either wall street journal or new york times it's probably new york times because i don't know why wall street journal would talk about this but the kind of um like bipartisanship and how it's it's not working anymore not that it's ever really worked you know but because of the how far both parties are like causing more divide Mm -hmm. that we have to cut we have to like it has to come into question like why why so Mm -hmm. right um and i think today you know i did want you to kind of talk about that paper if you're down to do it i can yeah yeah 
and how and we kind of touched on it i believe in episode two as well like the difference of epistemic bubbles echo chambers and the friction of these things but oh the, the epistemically non-frictional group behavior yeah yeah we yeah we talked about that right? we talked about that in episode two well in but episode today, four we talked about regimentation we talked about regimentation right and i feel like now it kind of yeah it like brings everything together for you to talk about how those two aspects of your paper mm-hmm. come together to to explain this riff in you know bipartisanship yeah. and like blah 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 right so uh what I'm trying to gather my thoughts because I kind of it was maybe like two weeks ago that I listened to this podcast, Mm. but it talked about something within the lines of, look, the left and the Democratic Party are using words that the right and the Republican Party are no like they can't even understand each other because of the words that they're using and how there's this attitude like you either got to be here or you got to be there and we can't basically like communicate with one another by by choosing right aside and i think you do a really good job of explaining like how regimentation has brought us to this problem this larger problem and how it poses like as a really huge danger right like it i think like in on a very basic level we can say like well obviously if people can't communicate how do we make decisions you know but then when it there's an added layer of politics and Mm -hmm. money or whatever involved in this. And there, there are constituents involved in this. Take it away, Ray. Okay. So the idea is that because there is this national level sort of group behavior. Yeah. That whether it's through epistemic bubbles, echo chambers, some sort of combo, it's, it's preventing people within oh that sounds nice it's preventing people from within um this sort of group behavior to come into contact or at least if they do come into contact with it engage with like differing views and here's one of the elements where regimentation comes into play so regimentation the last episode we talked about you know the methodological exercise of power um where uh, you control the cultural norms that are existing. So the thing is, Democrat versus Republican is regimented. You were either, oh, cool, you're left, you're progressive, you're cool for change, you're a Democrat, or you're either traditional home values and, uh, like, I guess, what else do conservatives like? <laughs> traditional home values, capitalism, super Christian, yeah, um, less tolerant of other religions and stuff. Oh, so you're a Republican? And there's this, like, idea of specifically, in logical terms, an exclusive or between these two. So when I say stuff like, oh, Biden has a um, uh, an imperialistic uh, policy involving Saudi Arabia and Yemen, I am met with people saying, okay, you Trumper. And I'm like, Nope, Trump had the same policy. And they're like, well, where were you then? And I was like, well, I wasn't on Twitter because I didn't have a Twitter yet. Um, if you're <laughs> sorry, I wasn't there to say this to you beforehand. So, like, there's this idea that if you disagree with one side, you're ob- like de facto siding with the other side. And this is regimented hardcore across 
the country. And it goes hand in hand with the fact that our system, as I was just explaining geographically, is built so the winner takes all and the loser gets nothing. Because, I mean, you'd have to get... There's one time I heard, I think this is this might not be true, but I think my teacher said this. Let's see. One time in California's history, got Green Party, like an entire county voted Green, Power, Green Party. But it doesn't really do much because... All the other, most of the other counties were Democrats, so California went Democrat. And so the way like regimentation plays into it is that it, pre- it prevents uh, – well, actually, it causes an epistemic injustice because it builds these negative prejudices, and, or at least I claim it increases the probability of epistemic injustice occurring. And I'll elaborate on what epistemic injustice is because I don't think I've brought that up yet before. So uh, – no, you haven't, but okay. that would be great. Yeah, so like, so like, there's a couple of different types of epistemic injustice. So one of them is like testimonial injustice. I, I promise I'll be quick. One of them is testimonial injustice, which is like, okay. Okay, let's say a black woman goes to the doctor and says, I have a pain in my like side, my abdominal region, and I'd like to get it looked at. And he's like, no, no, you'll be fine. Don't worry. Like, just rest. But like, say I go, like a white man goes, right? When I'm like, yo, I got this pain in my side. And the doctor's like, oh, here, let me take a look at that. That's a testimonial injustice. Because of the doctor's negative prejudices towards women of color. He... Epistemological injustice, right? No, epistemic. Epistemic? Yeah. You said testimonial injustice. There's two types of epistemic injustice. Oh, Testimonial and hermeneutic, yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Did, did Broadly, you come up with that? Or? No, this is oh, really? Miranda Fricker's book, Epistemic Injustice. Oh, that's awesome. Sorry, continue. I'm yeah. just ignorant, obviously. No, no, it's chill. But like, so like testimonial injustice is, um, so they're both, both forms of injustice are about capacity as an epistemic knower. So that's where the epistemic part comes in. But testimonial injustice is because of the doctor's negative prejudices, he doubts the capacity of the, the woman of color as a knower in respect to the white man, right? So one of the arguments I'm running is that um, this type of national level regimentation, epistemic and non-frictional group behavior bubble thing, whatever you want to call it, creates higher chances of negative prejudices happening towards people that are like, oh, I'm not, I, I don't do Democrat or Republican. I have problems with both, right? Well, then you're like, oh, okay. So you don't care about the future. You don't care about change. Or, or like if I say something against Biden, then it's like, oh, so you're a stupid little Trump supporter. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Chill the fuck out. So there's automatically this like, oh, you're one of those. Like it, it's right up there with how conservatives, like, like if you hold the BLM sign, they'll be like, are you a Marxist? And I'm like, if you want to have that conversation, explain to me the difference between Marx, Stalin, Lenin, Mao, Ho Chi Minh. Like, if you can explain what you even mean by Marxism, then we can talk. But if you're using it as, oh, Marxism bad, McCarthy good, <laughs> then this isn't a conversation that can happen, pal, because you're just using it as a slur without knowing what it means. So I claim that there's an epistemic injustice that occurs because yeah. when when you have this bubble like that perpetuated at such a big level where it's Democrat, Republican, that's it. Anything else, which includes communists, and, you know, Lenin wrote imperialism, highest stage of capitalism, so quite often communists are very anti-imperialist, and this is the point of my imperialism paper. You, It prevents people from bringing up imperialism. Like when I bring up Joe Biden's foreign policy or Trump's foreign policy and stuff, mm-hmm. or I bring up historical accounts of U.S. imperialism that, like, neoliberals never talk about seemingly i'm like it, it, it's been democrat and republican presidents in the past like 
while these harmful foreign policies are occurring. Like my brother Austin and I, we have like this this running joke. We'll be like like someone will say something about how like um, Republicans are very imperialist, and we'll look at each other. We'll look at each other. We'll be like. Oh, yes, but our boy Obama, he loves them drones, though. <laughs> he yeah. loves them drone strikes, which is like facts, though, because yeah. like, he used he was brilliant as an imperialist in that he was able to take the uh, human agency out of it a little bit and make it drones, right. which is a little less or a little more distant, you know? Yeah. But that's the that's the stuff about like the things that I think that's what you wanted me to talk about. Right. Was that right. Kind of stuff? Yeah. Hermeneutic injustice doesn't come up in my thing because it's it's very different. It's it doesn't really it, it it's just not the concept for this. Right. And I think the cause of what the example that you gave with Biden uh, or Biden supporters coming for you on like Twitter when yeah. you speak against Biden's policies is just not just. But I do think a lot of it has to do with like this lack of proper education from people and you know education being like uh, i hate to say super affected by politics because you know essentially i mean yeah right american public education is basically whitewashed propaganda of our of our history to make us seem like we're not that bad when we're right fucking terrible and it, it goes back to the point where you know because i've been teaching ethnic studies for so long that teaching ethnic studies shouldn't be radical because in essence ethnic studies is the education about and for the history of ethnic peoples within america right Mm -hmm. so calling ethnic studies radical or opposing the teaching of ethnic studies is basically not acknowledged theory as well right not acknowledging the existence and the history of ethnic peoples that exist within america right so therefore saying that the only people considered american are white people you know like yep so welcome that colonizer mentality kids right so i to me it's just i think there has to be less emphasis like political emphasis placed on ideas that are at the core of it care ethics kind of right things you know what i mean i think we talked about that earlier right uh, the politicization of um like cultural beliefs right like for me like abortion makes no sense because here's the thing or not abortion makes no sense like abortion as a political discourse to me makes no sense because here's the thing right Right. there's this entity the state and there's multiple ways to define the state right 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 but the state is now deciding the legality of women's reproductive rights Mm -hmm. and i'm like fuck put you in charge pal why are you like what like imagine like my street like this is my neighborhood imagine if someone was just like all right guys these are the rules of the street and if you disobey me and my family well we're the police and we're gonna like lock you in my basement and we're gonna call it jail like that'd be fucking ridiculous right right, so like i'm like there are people who have like differing cultural beliefs about well, I guess women's role in existence. And so they doubt right. women should have the, I guess some people try to play the, um, oh, abortion is murder though. And I'm like, it's funny though. Cause the way it's talked about is pro-life versus pro-choice, which right. is kind of like not what it really is about. Mm-hmm. It, another thing, another conversation where language is polarizing when it comes to that 
subject you know exactly i'm like you're not pro-life if you're also pro-imperialism and you don't adopt kids so. right <laughs> i, I want to give an example right from one of uh professor Korean brown's classes at san jose state called uh, i believe it was feminist ethics that that i learned this and it's an article that i wanted to teach in my class last semester i just didn't have time anyways Ouch. i know it's uh by an author with the last name I'm probably saying this wrong. Cader, that sounds hella American, but it's K-H-A-D-E-R. And she, she, her article, she was writing about the, uh, the ethics behind the modern Islamic woman, modern Muslim Mm. woman. So there's this Western view, according to us, right? When we see a woman in an hijab, we're like, you know, you're being subjected to the patriarchy of your culture. Like, Mm. why would you do that? Like, take your hijab off. It's okay. You know what I mean? And the argument in the article was saying much more eloquently than how I'm saying it right now. Mm. But essentially, Western women are doing the same thing, wearing high heels and or makeup for the perception of like right, right. either men or society, which is arguable because I love wearing makeup for myself, which is like a very <laughs> feminist, like <laughs> feminist argument to make. But, you know, what what Cater is saying is that it's okay to wear your hijab. It's okay to adhere to your culture if and only if it does not perpetuate harmful ideologies, right? So if it's seen from a care ethics point of view where it gives me empowerment to cover my head and I, I just want to keep it like a almost, it's like a spiritual thing between me and God and my religion, but I'm not over here adhering to the, to the what do you call these, like more harmful aspects of Islam. Mm. And I just want to say, too, that just because I'm saying that there are harmful aspects of Islam does not mean that it is the only religion that has harmful aspects to it. Right. Oh, yeah. Every religion has a harmful aspect to it. Right. It can be argued from a logical point of view, like Christianity, you know what I mean? Like uh, like Buddhism, you know, that we can look in history and just see how harmful it can be. Yeah. So if we are to apply that kind of like as an objective statement to like other religions as well as like, it's kind of the, the position that, that she has in order to, I guess, be a, be a modern Islamic woman with, within a care ethics point of view. So when we look back into your point about abortion, right. It's like by placing moral and moral value towards like one and enemizing the other, you're kind of missing the point. You know what I mean? you're like you're you're making a woman's womb still an argument when the argument should be how do we care for these women when they have been abused when they are not ready to have children when they have to have an abortion because their body cannot take it because their body is lacking the nutrients to supply this child you know what i mean like whatever Mm -hmm. it is like how do we make it so that society can help each other out exactly or people in society society can help each other out in order to care for this woman you know but instead the conversation becomes like this like enemizing of like different people Mm -hmm. you know what i mean yeah so the the irony to it too is that like some of those anti-abortion people okay some of them eventually reach a point in their life where they need an abortion Mm -hmm. right there's actual accounts this is a real reoccurring common phenomenon in many abortion clinics conservative anti-abortion people 
coming in to get an abortion and literally like bullying people in the waiting room like legit oh you're getting an abortion like that's murder like that's bad like saying all like these terrible things wow and like they literally have to get security to like make sure that peace is like settled and it's so ironic because these people are there for an abortion so there's this like self-entitled bullshit idea that it's like well i mean my situation is different so it's okay if i do it because my situation is you know it's different it, it like affects me and it's like yeah okay i guess did you even bother to ask why that person might be getting one not that it's any of your fucking business but like you're assuming your situation is different and justifiable without recognizing that your situation is probably more common than you think and is the yeah. basis of why people need abortions i i can see how you would see that and be like what is wrong with her you know but my reaction to hearing that is like yo like i feel really bad for her because you, there's obviously some type of like mental illness that she has to be in a space where you know what i mean she doesn't mm -hmm. have the cognitive ability to recognize the fact that she's sharing a space with other people that have the same problem as yeah, her like a lack of empathy yeah and like realism right and the and because of that is like she she just can't she just lacks the ability to be empathetic or whatever you know and then so so because of that that kind of makes me think right because of all these like hateful groups towards other human beings and like these hateful groups of just not being able to recognize the empathy and the plight of other people i it makes me question whether or not there is something deeper going on as per usual you know we always think about the deeper mm -hmm. issue yeah. and i personally think that because of the drug problem in america and how long the drug i mean probably the rest of the world too that like people were having children when they weren't supposed to like mm. and, and passing down all these like from drug issues and mental health issues and then i'm not saying that mm -hmm. we should relieve them of like culpability or whatever right you know because you at the end of the day you can be a drug addict and like or be a crack baby and like mm -hmm. not say really hateful shit do you know what i mean yeah. i guess like to me i'm also thinking of maybe perhaps in certain areas where a certain mentality is regimented alongside hate and you like how I use your vocabulary? Yeah, I heard you say that. And I was like, mm, yeah. yeah. Alongside with drug addi addiction and, you know, all that. And the main reason why I'm saying that is because a lot of the hate crimes that I've seen on the street, especially in San Jose, San Francisco and, and Oakland and stuff, it, there's been a handful of times where like all of the, oh, when I got followed by a dude, like it was because someone was extremely intoxicated and decided to, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't know, like just based on my like personal experience, like I'm gathering kind of like these, uh, what do you call it? like emp empirical data points. Yeah, conservative women are normally not the kind of be on drugs, I would think. They're usually very yeah. anti-drug, like very Protestant, pure body. I don't know, like. I'm just trying to imagine what a conservative woman is like. Let me just but call it doesn't one mean that find one. Hey, right, no, right, kidding. right. But I feel like it doesn't mean that they're not born from somebody that had real severe oh, like yeah. mental illness or some shit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, to a, to I an don't extent, conservatism sense, yeah. has a lot of mentally toxic ideologies built into it. And a and a lot of the the like in therapy conversation yeah. and psychiatry conversation, like how you become like a more 
like a like a less become a more enlightened person and less of a person that causes harm to other people it's the complete opposite methodology of what conservative say the word conservatism thank you traditionalism holds right the character the ideals that they hold right yeah is like you know uh like mental health you know like a a therapy kind of talk the the things that you need to do to take care of your mental health is like don't say hateful things about other people don't say hateful things about yourself yeah you know like uh say nice nicer things about other people be grateful you know be Mm -hmm. Be kind to others, even if maybe they've done some harm to you. But if they have done some harm to you, harm to you, communicate that to them. It's your choice whether or it's it's their choice whether or not they want to receive that communication. But OK, cool. Uh, but, you know, at least you were able to communicate that in a healthy way. You know what I mean? And I feel like a lot of those like techniques are the complete opposite end of the spectrum of what cons- a lot of conservatism holds. Right. Yeah. You like how I said the word finally? Yes. Kidding. All okay. right, go use the bathroom. Yeah, and like like another thing yeah. ab- about it too is that yeah. there's a very ironic behavior that happens because it's like, oh, yes, I've been regimented into the belief that neoliberalism equals progressive politics mm. necessarily. And the opposite of the negation of neoliberalism is conservatism. And those are my only two options. So there's a lot of like people who are like neoliberal who think that they're like ethically pure. Mm, yeah. And there's a lot of Ooh, that uh, so <laughs> frightening. That's frightening. And the and the fun thing about it too is like when you look at like neoliberal policymakers is like they and the same thing is true for conservative policymakers. The policymakers of our government often do the opposite of what you think. Like statistically, until Trump showed up, Trump was kind of like, I'll give him props where it's due. He kind of like broke down some walls and assumptions and was like, fuck it, I'll do what I want, which I think is kind of cool. But at the same time, I didn't like what he was doing with it. But like one of the things is statistically Democrats deport more. um, It's weird to say illegal because it's kind of funny that we could imagine that a person undocumented. Yeah. Oh, there we go. I like that. Um, so statistically Democrats deport more undocumented people so that way their social programs can focus on the citizens mm-hmm. and they can fund themselves actually and Republicans deport less until Trump but they deport less because Republicans are all about hardcore free market capitalism who has the cheapest labor mm-hmm. well if you're threatening your workers with hey I'll deport you because I know that you're undocumented you can get some pretty cheap under the table wages that are like way below minimum and that's the yeah. thing and, and the visa so program crazy. Right. yeah sorry to mean to interrupt you no that's cool now the i was just gonna say that the the visa program has made it so that a lot of uh i guess like overseas people are now able to come here on on work visas and stuff yep but like it's really weird because it's like so okay the um the like discourse perpetuation towards republicans is hey these people are coming into the country Mm -hmm. they're stealing your jobs easy response i can debunk this very quickly name (laughs) can you can can you give me any times you've seen some white people in the fields like i'm from salinas (laughs) Mm -hmm. fun fact you don't see a lot of white people in the fields they're not stealing our jobs 
they're doing the jobs that they've always pretty much done. In fact, um, th- we had this guest speaker uh, in the social justice seminar who was like, yeah, like it was totally normal for these people to come in to the country, work at the fields and then go back to like, like Mexico. And the thing was that um, it wasn't until, oh, fuck. What's the year? I think I want to say 65. So I'm going to, but I could be wrong. So it's tentative. But um, he was like, it wasn't until like 65 when they they said, no, there's now a border that you can't cross unless you're a bracero, legalized slavery, basically. And so that just made a bunch of complications unnecessarily. And then we have all this shit at the border going on. Yeah. And And it's ironic because they always used to just come and like, that was like their thing in a sense. I mean, it's kind yeah. of shitty because it's a little exploitive, but right. like the whole like people are like, oh, open borders versus closed borders argument. Oh, ew. You mean we obviously have to have borders. I'm like, no, 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 bro. You're regimented to think you need to have borders. Right, right, like right, less right, than a hundred right. years ago, they weren't a problem. They weren't even really much of a, an existing thing. Yeah. And I listened to a podcast recently that th- this like a, uh, I forget. <laughs> good job. I forget what this late what this lady's exact title is, but she's basically responsible for gathering data on immigration and stuff like that. Ah. And she she noticed in the past year that there's actually like a lot of American businesses that are lacking employees because Americans don't want them, and because of the the newer strict uh, immigration laws. So they're having a hard time filling those jobs because Americans like basically they'll have them for a couple months and then quit because they don't like it. So there's like a huge lack of employees that needs to be filled and they want they want like immigrant workers to come and or sorry undocumented workers to come contractually you know and work for mm-hmm. mexico to do it but because of the restrictions in in the visa thing yeah uh, it, it's made it very very exactly. difficult for american businesses yeah yeah i love when people are like why can't they enter the country legally and i'm like first right. of all not even going to mention the the appeal to authority fallacy of appealing to the law. <laughs> That's a whole nother conversation. But if you really want them to come in legally, explain to me how the Honduras caravan that trekked all the way up through Mexico, explain mm-hmm. to me what they did wrong. And then right. I wait for them to explain to me the legal process of be, of claiming asylum. Right. My grandpa they can't. <laughs> right. And my grandpa, like, it took him, I think, 20 years of working for the American government before he even brought any of his children to Guam first. Mm. <laughs> and then and then America, you know. So, yeah. like, it's it's a long, tedious oh, yeah. process. And when they ask you questions on the, the what do you call that, the, the legalization questionnaire or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's questions on there that even we don't know about oh, yeah. the Constitution and the history of America. You have to be a super patriot to pass that test, basically. Yeah, and one of our peers at the department, and she's amazing. I'm just not going to name her right now because I'm not sure how comfortable she is. Oh, okay. And she was in the mil- She's a veteran. She was in the military. I yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, she was like not a not not a commander, but like a platoon sergeant or something. Okay, so yeah. enlisted. Yeah, she's super fucking badass because I can after she told me that I was like, oh, I can tell you I can see you yelling at people and telling them what to do and shit, you know, and she said, (laughs) yeah, she said that she became a philosopher. Right. And this is my classmate in the grad department. She became a philosopher because of the fact that when she went to take the test for legalization and, you know, to become a citizen that, you know, ethnically, she's Mexican she had to give up her Mexican citizenship and write it on the document saying like, I therefore uh, not relieve 
like something of that sort, relieve my Mexican citizenship and only abide by America's, oh, you know, America's like gross. rules for, you know, basically like putting her hand over her heart and looking at the flag and selling her soul. And that's essentially what mm-hmm. she said was how she felt when she signed the documents. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So there's an existential point to that, right? Is that yep. the, the culture that you feel that you were born from you know what I mean? And you have to completely give that up in order to like come here. I guess that's how it is with any other yeah. country. Do you know that's what I mean? That's like what but happened with Rina Samayama. It's layered, yeah. Oh, really? Is that what happened? Yeah, here? do you listen to Rina Samayama at all? No, but I heard she's she's a gay icon. Yo, Rina Samayama, if you're listening. Oh, I've heard one song. You can step on me. Okay, I would gladly become a rug just to be walking. Yeah, I've I've heard some of her songs before, though. They're pretty good. Oh, my God. Her, her um... Uh, oh what's the name of her album that came out like last year is it i think it's just called sawayama i'm gonna double check because yeah. this is a queen and i mustn't get the information wrong. yeah <laughs> let me just pull her up on my phone do you boo boo i think the album was just called sawayama uh-huh yeah yeah sawayama 2020 there it is oh that fucking hair look at the album cover oh yeah she's and her makeup yeah. is insane yeah okay anyways um she literally described that album as a dissertation about her life as um like uh as an immigrant to uh england so okay so she was born in japan and she moved to england i think when she was like nine and um england has a rule and you can only so if you are an english citizen you are not allowed to have any citizenship with any other country you are either english or you are something else but you can't be both and that's an english policy uh, which is super gross colonizer mentality shit. And it makes sense because it's fucking England. James, a- I don't know if you watch any British standups, but James a- Acaster did a funny um, bit about um, British museums. He- he's basically like a chaotic, good, like um, absurdist, wacky guy. And he was just like, <laughs> he was just like, get this, get this. Many, many years ago, we decided to get into boats and steal shit. And we didn't hide it. We put it in museums. Oh, no, never find it there. Wink. And I was just like, oh my fucking god, that whole bit's hilarious. But anyways, the thing with Rina yeah, Sawayama is a uh, this album literally is a dissertation. Every song is about some deep shit. Di- um, which one is it? Excess is literally like directly about consumerism and capitalism. What we were talking about earlier. Uh, all all these fucking. Songs. I love the song. Shut the fuck up. It's literally like the music video is hilarious. The outtakes during the credits are funny because it's literally about like telling white men to stop fetishizing asian women which is perfect and so yes please yes please please, please stop, stop doing that please <laughs> objectification <laughs> equivalent to sexual advice if not i'll fucking kill you oh okay <laughs> so everyone was like all right well british artist brit awards that's what happens nope rina sawayama decided to have a maintain a connection with her her like homeland to um remain a japanese citizen but she's like, I think she's probably like, I think she's in her mid to late twenties. She moved there when she's like nine, so she's been there for like twenty years, basically. She's basically a British citizen. <laughs> she functions just like a British citizen. She go, she lives in London, I'm pretty sure. So it's like, okay, so like immediately, she was. Everyone was like, nope, does not qualify for a Brit award. I I think they might have. I I might have heard something about. Because I don't keep up with it as much anymore. I might have heard that she might have gotten it anyway or stuff, like like way later. But like there was this huge thing that happened last year, and it was like, nope, you don't qualify for a Brit award because of Britain's. Um, you're either in or out, like citizenship policy. 
Yeah. This is like one of the most amazing like she literally called it a dissertation and i was like that's pretty much what this is because this is a reflection on like her entire experience which is unique to her and also at the same time common as an as a like an immigration phenomenon that occurs with like many people so it really was like reflections on experiences and stuff and they're like nope and i was like what the fuck do you mean nope right right even though it's well deserved oh yeah Oh, yeah. It is definitely well-deserved. Again, this yeah. is a queen. Right, right. She also samples the Final Fantasy theme a lot. Hey. <laughs> throw it back to hey. that. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It is almost a minute and 30 into this pod. We are going to sign out. I love you. Love you. Thank you for listening. 